I have two guests on the show. These women are co-founders of The Resting Mind and certified life coaches who work with Generation X women. Using The Resting Mind's proprietary tools combining brain science and energy leadership, they help Gen X women create sustainable change. They've been featured in Business Insider, Entrepreneur, Thrive Global, Tiny Buddha, TEDx, and are VIP experts at Fairy God Boss. My guests are the co-hosts of the podcast, Make Your Life Magnificent with Jackie and Mimi. I'm talking to Jackie Gadeen and Mimi Bishop. My name is Aiden Nepom, and this is The Changed Podcast. to the Changed Podcast. I am thrilled that you're here, Jackie and Mimi. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. We're excited. Thank you. Um, I would love to hear from you two a little bit about uh, what it is that you do. I, Of course, I introduced you to everybody, but could you define terms for us a little bit? So we are co-founders of The Resting Mind, which is a company that supports Generation X women through our coaching. And we coach them on all the things that keep them up at night. And that, as you probably well know, can range from things like anxiety and mid-career crossroads, um, finances, relationships, hot flashes, Although we don't specifically coach on that, but we just had someone come in and talk about hormones. So I think we covered our base there. We are also the co-founders of the um, podcast, Make Your Life Magnificent. And again, we cover off on all of those topics that keep women up at night. And we feel very strongly that while Gen X women are really at a unique point in their lives, it does not mean that they can't have a magnificent life right now. There comes a point in your life where what you did doesn't actually jazz you anymore. Not for everybody, but for a lot of Gen X women, they've lived their life for someone else or through the lens or identity of everything else that has defined them. So it could be a mom, it could be a wife, it could be an employee, whatever that looks like. And all of a sudden they get to some point in their midlife and they go, who am I? What makes me happy? And this goalpost that I was running towards, maybe it was your career or being the perfect mom or being a great wife. And when that goalpost moves, you get laid off, your kids go to college or don't need you. Maybe there's a divorce or or upset in the relationship. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden they have this opportunity to reflect and they find themselves stuck. And there's a book that Ada Calhoun wrote called Why We Can't Sleep. All of that Gen X women, beautiful mantra people were coming together and feeling like they were being heard I think for us what we wanted to do is really get them to understand women gen x women that you can be part of this cohort that feels this way but you don't have to stay stuck here and so we want to supply them with the tools and strategies to pull them through so that they can be fulfilled and what about you specifically, Jackie and Mimi? How do you think of yourself when it comes to changes, making changes or being affected by changes in the world, family, career? I think change is incredibly exciting. I think a lot of people get really wound up around the idea of change. They they think it's something to be frightened about or they think it's a bad thing. But change can be very exhilarating, even if it's on the tail end of something that was unpleasant. I think there's always a great 
uh, opportunity to take something. It really is the key to resilience. Even when you're going through something that may be a quote unquote unpleasant change, like a job loss or a relationship not working out. When you look at the opportunity that exists in that even, there really is always a silver lining and the way that you come out the other side. So personally, I find change exciting and exhilarating. Mm-hmm. I might sometimes go into it with a little trepidation, but I find it gets me very jazzed up and it's something that I always look forward to. What about you, Jackie? So I'm very much in the same mindset as Mimi. And I think that's partly why we do so well together as business partners is because we both embrace change and Mm -hmm. knowing that it's uncomfortable, but knowing that without that discomfort, I'm never going to grow. So without change, you don't grow. And I've gone through a lot of changes throughout my life. And I recognize even in coaching that people will do everything they can to not have to change, even if they want to. So there's a moment where there's change and then trying to create sustainable change. So change that can last by drilling in new habits. And I want to share a funny anecdote that I wasn't going to talk about, but I'm going to share it because today I went on my Facebook, uh, our Facebook group on my computer and Facebook changed their layout. They're doing this beta, yeah. everybody's seeing it. So I posted, hey, loving the new changes because I am all excited about trying to see how fresh it is and the way it works and curious about the usability and the feedback has been, I don't like change. Why are they messing with it? It really worked. And I was like, oh my goodness. And that's just your Facebook page. No wonder why you feel stuck. (laughs) Right? Yeah, that's funny. I saw that the same thing this morning. There was chatter about this, but they do this all the time. It's an iterative process. They're continually trying to make it better. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's worse. That's what iteration is about. Simpler visually. So for me, I, I really dug that. And for other people, they don't, they don't want it to be simple visually. They want it to be complicated. Yes. And also everyone gets used to finding buttons where they found them before. Yes. They don't want to work any harder. Change makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to add is I think there's a real large misconception that when you feel uncomfortable or you feel you know, a little anxiety around something, that's a signal to back off. Uh, Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we really work with our ladies and encouraging them to move, move towards it. And, you know, that's really something that you don't hear very often, but it can also be an indicator that this is exactly what you need. It's just not the same old, same old. And when you do something different, even when you're learning something new, it feels uncomfortable because you're not used to it. Right. So Embracing the idea that, yeah, I'm going to feel uncomfortable with this change for a while. And it's a good thing. It's not an indicator that it's something I should move myself away from. Uh, I was explaining that feeling to my husband um, because the same thing happened when he gifted me with this microphone. I was used to using a different microphone and I was like, it doesn't plug in the right way. And I had this like, but it was never this moment of, of, well, but I'm not going to use the new tool. I'm not going to spend. It never was like, I'm not making the change. It was just, I don't like that it's uncomfortable right now. And I think that's an important distinction. Uh, That feeling that you're experiencing of your head, feeling like it's closing in on itself, or like you're having to push against your own logic. That feeling of discomfort and resistance is the feeling of learning something new, as opposed to 
physical pain that says stop. Um, well, uh, I would love to, so I'm curious, first question is, uh, so typically what I do is I invite my guest, my singular guest to tell a story. And I'm curious if the two of you in preparing for the show, if you were like, we have a story that's ours, or if you were like, you know what? Each of us has a little story to share, a memory, a pivotal moment in our lives that brought us to where we are. Um, I'm curious what that conversation was like and where you've come to. Our stories dovetail at some point. So it's a it's a fun story. Um, we have a mutual friend that I met her my very first day of work when I started my career almost 30 years ago. And... She wound up working for Jackie at one point. So through the years, I would hear this Jackie this, Jackie that. And and we had, as time went on, we grew in our corporate careers. We had these big corporate careers. And I was vice president of marketing in a division of News Corporation. Thought I wanted to climb the ladder and I was always going for the next thing. And in 1998, my sister passed away suddenly. And as a response to that, I worked even harder. I worked till 10 o'clock at night. And this went on for years and years and years. And 10 years later, my brother passed away suddenly. And I am a positive person. So I thought to myself, I'm going to make the best out of this. This is an opportunity for me to do it differently this time. And I recognized that I did not want to work like this for the rest of my life. I did not want to get to the next level in my career, all of this stuff. So that was my real pivotal moment of change and started to investigate what my next steps may be and decided to become a coach. And over a long period of time, and that's another story, I was able to exit the corporate career and become a coach. And when I did that, my friend, our friend, Kerry, said, now you've got to meet Jackie because Jackie had already stepped off her big career and become a, became a coach. So Jackie and I met for coffee and we just met innocently for a cup of coffee. And when we left that day, we knew that we had something, something there. Oh, wow. Jackie, what about you? Will you tell us your story? Sure. So, so I had several pivotal moments and I, I think I, there were, there were times I would look up and at God or the universe, whatever you believe in, I'd be like, okay, got it. Got the point. Had enough. You know, I'm screaming uncle. <laughs> um, but I think, I think my biggest one for us or for me was when I was 30, my husband was diagnosed with cancer, unexpected mm. cancer, uh, lymphoma, young, healthy, playing hockey three days a week. We ate grilled chicken every day. It came out of nowhere. His grandparents were in their 90s. And right before that, my husband and I were really having marital issues. Mm. And I share this story because it's honest and true, even though it's vulnerable. We were having marital issues and we were going through counseling, not sure if we were going to, what, what the next step was, if we could come together. I'm an only child, he's an only child, and we came together in our relationship severely independent and mm. so much so that we didn't know how to operate as a unit. And then my husband got sick. And I remember sitting down with him after we went through the panic and the doctors and trying to get him an oncologist and surgery biopsies and surgeries and all of that before he started chemo I said I am going to be here by your side because I love you and no matter what you decide at the end of this or what we decide at the end of this we are going to decide to stay together because we want to stay together not because we are obligated because of this experience that we've had together or we're going to have together and when we came out of the other side it it actually was 
how we became such a strong couple. Not just the health issues, but the fact that the things that would irk him, like my parents, you know, I come from a big Italian family. My dad would show up on our doorstep every Saturday and he would want privacy and he didn't understand it. But every weekend at the hospital, who was there, my mom and my dad, every weekend, Saturday, Sunday, would sit with us all day at the hospital and play cars and distract us. And so that moment was pivotal for me to understand that I needed to morph and change into someone who accepted help and could be codependent, and so did he. And it was pivotal for us in our relationship that we were able to come together and kind of grow as a couple as opposed to growing as separate humans. Wow. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm always struck at how uh, these moments of these moments that require you to act as a team have a real unifying um, quality to them. And I, I'm, I'm really struck by that. I think that, I think there's some, there's a there, there, you know, there's um, sometimes you don't really know how much you can be there for each other until you have to be there for each other. And it's the not knowing how much you can be there that causes the, the tension or the, or the need to self-preserve by going and relying on yourself. Um, but as soon as you know that you can rely on each other, you, you want to. Yeah, it was, it's, a, it's beautiful. It was beautiful. It really was. And it's not been easy since then. We've been married 20 years, but it's been, we, we always kind of look back to that and we're like, we could have gotten, we've gotten through that and infertility issues and then adopting mm -hmm. our daughter and our daughter has learning disabilities. So you know, we've, we've gone through bumps, but I think that is what has helped us get through all of the other things that life has thrown us and looked at it as a learning, as opposed to why me, you know, when I was 30, it was why me, why us? And everything since then is what am I supposed to learn from this? Okay. Mm -hmm. What, how am I supposed to grow as a human from these experiences versus thinking that I'm the teacher, you know, I need to understand that I'm the student. So really opening that universal perspective. That mirrors a little bit of what you were saying, Mimi, that he, in experiencing death, uh, which affected you, you for, your first reaction was to like go bury yourself in your work. Mm -hmm. But but later down the road, you asked yourself, what is it that I really need to be learning for myself? What what do I what could I be doing differently? That's exactly it. The second time when it happened, I mean, it was devastating. But at the same time, it was just an opportunity to do it differently. Mm -hmm. And there was a gift in that to be aware of it. Also, I knew what to expect a little bit more the first time when you're hit with something like that. It's just, you know, I just remember trying to br like brushing my teeth and I was like, it felt like I was running a marathon and I thought, am I going to feel this way forever? And of course you don't, but I didn't know that. The second time I knew what to expect. So I was able to look at it from a really unique perspective because I was able to go through it and yet kind of be the observer at the same time. And mm -hmm. it was, I'm not going to say an easier process, but it was a light, it was life-changing. It was life-changing because I came out of it the other side, different, but much better this time. Um, and it was the gift in it. You know, I say there can be a gift in grief and that was it for me. It was a life changer. So, the, and the other part of your story was, of course, how you and Jackie met, which was over coffee and you had this instant 
Like you had this instant knowing it was, about it was each other. Kismet. <laughs> it was. The funny thing is that we were both in the same industry for a long time. And like I said, our friend had talked to her, talked to each one of us about each other. So I knew who she was. You know, and I would hear all the stuff about her, but there was one comment. It wasn't all good. No, I'm kidding. No, it was always good. It was always good. But I remember separately, I was at a conference, an Ad Age sponsored conference, and she worked at Ad Age. And I was sitting behind this woman. She was like two rows ahead of me. And I remember she was wearing this camel colored sheath and I loved it. And it turned out to be Jackie. And, and this was years after I met. And I, so- we were working together at this point. And I said, by the way, did you ever go to this <laughs> event and you had a sheet? Cause she's like, yeah, that was me. And I just find it ironic uh-huh. that she, she stood out to me. It was just meant to be. She's a soulmate, you know, yes. for Soul, sure. Soulmate through and through. And we, yeah. we sat and had coffee at a coffee shop and just talked about what we did and our experiences and our, and our backgrounds and what we studied in coaching and when Mimi was talking about how she was an energy leadership coach, and I was talking about how I was uh, studied in brain science and positive psychology, we went, wait a second, there's a synergy here. Nobody's bringing these two principles together. Nobody's leveraging both of these skill sets and actually using them to create sustainable change. So it was the that spark of an idea. And then 18 months later, the company was born. I love that. That's awesome. I, I'm always struck by these moments of kismet like that. That It's usually like that. It's not just that first meeting. It was, if you look back, there are other markers of connection. That's right. um, it, it's, it's a very cool thing with 7 billion, almost 8 billion people on the planet that two people would find each other repeatedly uh, is a neat thing in this world, in this big, crazy world. Yeah. <laughs> they true. knew that when the time was right, they were like, okay, we're going to put this person in your universe and your energy yeah. is going to get drawn together when it's right because mm-hmm. you're going to make magic happen together. So we are on our path. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to understand this idea of energy, energy leadership. Is that the term that you just used? Yes. So I received my coaching certification at IPAC. And mm-hmm. I've got to be honest with you, I did not choose that coaching school because of the energy leadership aspect of it, although that's a huge part of the way they teach their coaching principles. And I decided to move forward and become certified in, in energy leadership. Not all of their coaches do, but it's based on this principle that we have seven different levels of energy with the lower levels being what they call catabolic or breaking down. And then the higher levels where you really can you know, there are levels three, there are seven levels, but when you get to levels three through seven, that's really where you're experiencing more flow in your life, that kind of thing. Hmm. And when you get to level seven, that's kind of where, you know, real manifestation comes and all that kind of thing. It's, It's really very interesting. But when you think about it, every single human, we're all energy, we're energy. And our energy comes from our thoughts. And that's where the brain science piece of it is so interesting because Mm. when you can really, there's so much research, Jackie could speak more to this, but there's research about how you can, using repetition and habit, really change the way your brain functions. When you have that ability to do that, when you marry that with the energy, it really gives you the control to have so much better experience in your life because you have the control over your energy energy level. So many times we go through life thinking we are 
you know, at the effect of our energy. Well, this Mm -hmm. happened. And so I feel like crap and that's, I've got no choice, but Mm -hmm. we really have control over those energy levels. We're human. So every single one of us will dip down to a level one given the different circumstances, but it's how long you stay down there that makes all of the difference. And that's mm-hmm. where the brain science really comes in because it gives us control. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, I mean, it makes the the positive psychology piece as well, I, which always, I, this is not exactly the same, but I always think of um, my experience in reading the book, The Growth Mindset. I was really <laughs> excited about The Growth Mindset because I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I'll have tools that I can offer my clients on how to help shift the way they're thinking about in their careers, themselves, blah, blah, blah. And I read the book and at the very end, she basically is like, and if you tell people about growth mindset, then they know they can do it. <laughs> like, exactly. Wow. Well, if it Spoilers, was that easy. That's the end of the book. Exactly. Uh, you know, <laughs> but, but it is interesting because that to me, that just speaks to how powerful the mind really is. Belief being a key element in habit change. Right. It is. And I think too many, too many people spend so much time on taking care of themselves physically that they forget to take care of themselves mentally. They're also mm-hmm. for the, for, you know, way too long, people were told that by the time you're 23, your brain's developed. They didn't know that our brains had neuroplasticity. They didn't know that we can create new neural pathways mm-hmm. in our brain. And unfortunately, as humans, we need to recognize and remember that our brains are primal. There's only a small piece of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, that only humans have that allow us to think and to decide and to reason and to plan. But the rest of it is primal. So a threat that somebody says something to you in a meeting, it will stick with you and it will linger for as long as you, uh, as a threat would if a bear was chasing you in the woods. Right. Your brain can't decipher or distinguish those two types of threats. So what we do in our coaching practice and we work with people is we say, okay, we can't stop somebody from making a comment in that, you know, in that meeting that is going to impact you. But what we can do is teach you how to rewire your brain and how to do positive affirmations to acknowledge different processes, to write things down that are bothering you. So you create new neural pathways that bypass that negativity. You know, just 95% of our day is run by the subconscious mind. So right. when you talk about levels of energy, you talk about where you sit. If you are, you know, I'm showing everybody in my hand, if you sit mid, mid-level, mid then when your subconscious mind takes over, this is where you're going to level off. This is your resting mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. But to be the productive person that you want to be you want to bridge that gap between your conscious goals, what you want to achieve, and your subconscious settings, all those beliefs that have made you where you are today. And so our goal is to close that gap so that when your subconscious mind takes over, it isn't, it's working for you and towards your goal, not against you and sabotaging you. The amazing thing also about energy is we all have like a resonating average energy set point, but it's not mm-hmm. permanently set. So even if you're someone who like my husband has a set point at like one. Uh-huh. <laughs> he has, you know, everyone has his little heart, as they that's would say. Right, that's right. <laughs> you know, Poor little Johnny boy. Little Johnny boy. It doesn't have to stay there. We can move it up, right? Yeah. It can be moved up using these principles that we're talking about. And that really, again, it goes to speak to someone's resilience, but 
not only that, when your subconscious set point is higher, your life experience is so much better. That's so interesting. I, I once had a conversation with someone in my 20s um, about the concept of luck. This person was convinced that I was sort of born lucky and that they were born unlucky. And they were really convinced of this. And I was, and I stand by this, really convinced that that was total bullshit. Because um, I noticed there were differences in how we walk through the world. And I noticed there were differences in automatic responses. So things that he perceived as threats to what was cool, right, normal, whatever, I perceived as interesting variations on a theme. Um, we lived abroad together and, um, yeah, and we, you know, it was another culture and he kept being like, this isn't how you do things and this is wrong. And I'm like, oh, this is how they do things here. This is different. And the that's a distinct difference. So when people offered me opportunities, it was because they had experienced me differently in the world. My resistance levels were different. My intrigue was different. My outlook was different. And I also was looking for opportunity everywhere I went. Um, whereas he was looking for I don't know, proof that life is hard, I assume. Um, but of course, as you mentioned, this is all subconscious, right? It's These are sort of like, and exactly. I attribute, I attribute some of that to how we're raised, probably, and some of it to, you know, nature versus nurture, probably some of it to how we came into the world. But it does seem to me that there's a choice to be made there, that he could choose to continue to look at the world in that way. Um, and the irony was when we came back to the United States, it had flipped a little bit. I had, um, I had observed a couple of things and fell into this trap of comparison, which can really bring you down. And I was like, oh, he's getting all these opportunities that I'm not getting. So now I'm, now I'm broken or whatever dumb message my brain chose for me, (laughs) you know, um, and, you know, and he went on to have these really great opportunities. Um, as we, you know, parted ways in life, we have remained, uh, friendly. And so I kind of know where his life has gone. Um, but it's just, it was super interesting. And the like the comparison thing is a big, it feels like a big way to sort of tank your morale really quick to just compare your life and experiences to what other people are going through. Oh, sorry. It is. And I was just going to take take this only because I just completed uh, Yale has a course called the science of well-being, which is amazing. So I just completed the course because we are starting to do a lot more work on happiness because we've found that in our Facebook group, Just Gen X, the resting mind. So many women, when we ask them about happiness, say they're not happy. They don't remember the Mm -hmm. last time they were happy. They don't know what would make them happy. It is that's exactly it. And so what did I do? I went off and took a course on what happiness looks like um, (laughs) and and the science behind it so I can help my clients. What's so fascinating is they call it the reference point. And I'm going to Uh tell a quick story if if I had, if I can have just a minute, but yeah, go for it. They took, they looked at pictures of Olympic winners. And when they looked at the three people on the podiums, the person in first place was like, yeah, if anyone could see me, if you do this video, big smiling face, the person in second place was, had this smirk and the uh-huh. person in third place was like, yeah, beaming. And somebody was thinking to themselves, why is a second place person not smiling? So somebody took it upon themselves to go back and do research on all of these different 
pictures of the three winners. And it didn't matter where they were from, what country, none of that mattered. What they found out and figured out is that the reason why the person in first place was happiest because they were in first place. The reason why the person in second place, the the silver winner wasn't happy is because his reference point is, I was a second away from being first. Mm -hmm. The the bronze winner was ecstatic because his reference point, a second or fractions of a second away from not placing at all. So to that comparison point, when depending on your reference points, it is astonishing how it can change your and impact your morale. So you have to be very aware of that and really look at yourselves and your own internal expectations and internal validations in order to find your worth. And so that's some of the work that we do with clients because it's, it's not, it's so common, especially with social media and corporate worlds and, and um, you know, everybody having access to seeing the successes of people around us. I want to connect the dots here to the stories that you shared, actually, because I think that there's a connection there between this comparison reference points all in how you look at things. Um, the experience of grief being an example, um, having having gone through grief experiences, each one of them different. Um, I, I can't help but notice that there is a bit of a like sizing up that happens each time I experience that. Um, a sort of like, it's a moment to pause and reflect on where is my life going? But in those moments, the trigger has always been to compare my life to my life. It's like a it's like a pause button to look inward. Whereas I think about Jackie, your story with your husband, and it was a pause to look at where you've been versus where you are versus where you might be going. But it's still, it's like your reference point shifts as a, as a result. This is a think out loud. So I hope you're enjoying how my brain works here, but it's like, it's like these moments, these, these pivotal moments, they, it's like they, they cause you to reflect on your own choices versus, you know, going through your day to day, comparing yourself to everybody else. That's, that's a great way to kind of tie all of that together. I think sometimes you look and you're like, why does their marriage look easier? You know, so you may go outwardly to compare because you're inwardly suffering, Mm -hmm. but on the flip side to get out of it, you have to inwardly work. So at some point Mm -hmm. you go from looking out and figuring why do I feel so miserable and everybody else looks so happy to wait a second? How do I, how do I turn that inward to, to find my own happiness? Both of you had these moments of pain that caused reflection, but you also had this moment of meeting that felt like kismet. So I, you know, two guests, three, three stories. This is cool. Um, it's <laughs> because it seems to me that you know, some people say you need pain to instigate real change. Some people really believe that strongly and other people believe you don't need pain to instigate real change. And then I think the rest of us think there's a balance between it all. I'm curious what your perspectives are. I think, I don't know. I mean, I would, I would say, I wish I didn't have to go through pain to experience change, but on the other hand, having gone through it, I know firsthand how much better I am for it. Hmm. Does that make sense? I would have never gotten to this point without going through those times, both of them, because the first time I was very, why me? And the second time it was all about a choice. 
And I made the choice not, not to, I made the choice to grieve it differently. I made the choice to make my life as great as I could. I made the choice, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. what kind of catapulted me to leave corporate. So I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't be able to help other people the way I help them without that experience. Mm. Jackie, what's your feeling on it? So my feeling is it's similar, but, but different. I think the reality is everyone's pain threshold is different. Mm. So, oh, mm-hmm. so what they go through, what pain looks like for me may be different than what it looks like for Mimi or maybe what looks different to you. So there might be people who've gone through a pain of something small, like in our world is small, but seems like a pain for them that can cause change. So I think, I think it's, I think it's actually, I don't know if it's necessarily pain because pain seems heavy. And we talk about energy and words that feels like a very heavy word. Like it has to be Mm. something catastrophic. So I think, Sometimes it's more of hiccups. I'd rather say hiccups. Like when you when you come across something that's a hiccup, you can either keep hiccuping or you can change so that you don't have to experience that any longer. So <laughs> that's how I would perceive it. That's my point of view on that. That's interesting. I, yeah, the word pain is heavy, but I think it's heavy because people experience really heavy stuff at times. Um which is, you know, so that's interesting. Like I, I would struggle if, if, if the worst, most unthinkable thing were to happen and I were to lose my spouse, that's the most painful thing I could possibly imagine. I wouldn't want to call that a hiccup. I would want to be like, this is, you know, that's one of those moments where I'd be like, no one knows the struggle I am going, you know, and God forbid that should ever, I hope that never, I hope to, uh, I hope he outlives me. He's younger than me. So odds are pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, it's like, I I wouldn't want to take any of the weight out of that word in that context. But when I think about like that time, I lost the job that I had at a software company, I would calling it a hiccup feels pretty good. That's my, that's my point. Exactly. I think people will go to, I know, I don't think people always go to the extreme in their emotional vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So they'll go to pain where I think losing your spat, you're losing a sibling, absolutely painful, losing a job, a hiccup, but they'll go to that Mm -hmm. same extreme. And so what we really encourage people to do is not to go to that extreme unless it really warrants it. So when you ha- are having a bad day and you walk around saying, I'm, I'm depressed, that's heavy. That's black, shut the lights, right? So mm-hmm. think about that. First of all, you're not anything. So you're not depressed because then you're putting that feel, that emotion as your own and you're taking it and owning it as part of who you are, which I, I don't encourage people to do because then it's a weight. But instead, if you're feeling like you're having a bad day, are you really depressed or do you feel blah? Do you feel down? So really mm-hmm. trying to get our clients to articulate and say out loud what they're feeling, but being more uh, specific. real and specific and connected to that, to that feeling so that everything isn't a 10 out of 10 on the extreme scale. Yeah, I'm a big believer that, um, you know, if the story that you've got isn't working, make up a different one that's something my dad raised me with um that's a great lesson 
Because it's all, ultimately, all you have is like this moment. And then it's already gone. Now it's this moment. That one's gone now too. So you might as well, if you're telling stories about what already happened, your memory's not really perfect anyway. You might as well tell a story you like more than a story that you don't like. That's exactly it. So much is fiction and we take it as fact. Mm. Um, Well, I could easily spend another seven hours hanging out here and talking about this with you. I love this conversation. Um, I wish we lived in the same city and also that we could go hang out in coffee shops right now, but neither thing is true. So (laughs) instead, I want to thank you for your time. Um, Tell us the best, I mean, obviously people can listen to your podcast, um, but tell us the best way for people to find more Jackie and Mimi. Sure. So they can definitely go to our podcast, Make Your Life Magnificent with Jackie and Mimi. They can join our Facebook group. We are in there every day interacting with women. It is called Just Gen X, The Resting Mind. Um, they can head over to our website, therestingmind.com. Jackie, you have anything, any other places they can find us? <laughs> All right. No, those are, those are the three main places. And, and in our Facebook group, we do coach and we will offer, offer and do live coaching or coaching advice. So really take us up on our knowledge. And, you know, our goal is to help Gen X women really get to a point where they're feeling happy so that they don't answer that question anymore and happy within their life. And what that looks like could be career or marriage or kids or relationships or aging parents. And that's, that's our goal. And we want to create a mission so that Gen X women don't have to feel like they are just existing and not living. Mm, That's beautiful. Well, thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Mimi. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for having us. It was so much fun. And I agree. We need to do this over some wine. I'm in. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Thank you. Absolutely. know that having a positive attitude makes a difference, but it's not always obvious how to tap into positivity as we face challenges in life. Whether it's choosing how you accept or reject labels, thinking deeply about the stories you're crafting about your reality, or whether you choose to compare yourself to others' futures or your own, it is clear that we have the power to choose in more circumstances than we might realize. It's not about chasing away grief or sadness when it arrives, but instead about asking the important question as you begin to move forward, which is, what do I want to learn from this? To listen to Jackie and Mimi's podcast, look for Make Your Life Magnificent with Jackie and Mimi on iTunes. While the focus is on Gen X women, I introduced this podcast to my mom and now she's hooked on it. So you can believe me when I tell you there's something in there for everyone. You'll find links to the website for The Resting Mind and Jackie and Mimi's Facebook group in the show notes for this episode available at thechangepodcast.com. This show comes to you from the Art of Change Skills for Life. Visit www.artofchange.com to explore how you might grow your communication, collaboration, and leadership skills through workshops, coaching, and more. Plus, you get to work with me. Thank you for listening to The Change Podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing as well as leaving a review and a rating wherever it is you enjoy the show. I'm Aiden Nepom, and I wish you the kind of experiences in life you're excited to tell stories about.